Brothers and sisters, it's wonderful to be back with you for the worship of God. Our scripture is from Mark 5, first 20 verses. Jesus is with his disciples. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We just heard a story that's as rugged as the gospel gets. So much violence here. The man with the unclean spirit breaks his chains, smashes his handcuffs, he bruises himself and then cries out because he's so bruised. He runs at Jesus and shouts at him and pleads with him. He pleads with Jesus not to torture him. Maybe he thinks Jesus is going to draw out the demons one at a time, and this poor man swears to God it will hurt too much. An exorcism has to be quick. You know, it's like taking adhesive tape off your arm. You don't want to dawdle over an exorcism. And Jesus doesn't dawdle. He throws all the demons out of this poor man at once, and the demons enter a herd of swine and then run them right down into a lake. What a story this is. You know, Mark has his own way of telling us about Jesus. 
When Mark gets his gospel going, what he wants to say is that in Jesus Christ, God is on the loose. God is on the loose, and we are never safe from God's approach. In Jesus Christ, Mark says, God is after you. We see the theme right from the start. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, the heavens tear open and the Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the desert where Satan is. The Holy Spirit drives Jesus to the place where all the wild things are, the wild weather and the wildest of all the demons. In his gospel, Mark is telling us what the human problem is and how God has set about to solve the problem. Our problem is not that we keep banging our heads against the glass ceiling as we try to go home to God. No, just the opposite. The heavens get torn open, not so that we can get at God, but so that God can get out at us in the person of the Holy Spirit. God wants to get at us because we're fugitives. We're runaways. We're like Cain or Jonah or the prodigal son. And now, says Mark, the heavens have been ripped open. God has gotten out. God is coming after us in the person of Jesus. Jesus brings God a whole lot closer than people want. And when Jesus does this, he scares them. Jesus in Mark 5 isn't a gentle savior who gathers kindergartners into his lap. No, this is a rough savior who brawls with demons in a graveyard. This is a savior who sends 2,000 hogs on a death march. This is a savior with fire in his eye. You might say Jesus was his mother's son. Mary was a fierce woman, you know. Such a fierce virgin she was. You remember that she's the young girl who sings that song in Luke 1 about how God scatters the proud and brings down the mighty from their thrones. This is the God who sends proud people away when they plead for food. C.S. Lewis once wrote that Mary has in her a terrible gladness over all the calamities that come to people who've moved across the street from God. Jesus was his mother's son. Sometimes he's tender, but sometimes he goes after people. And he goes after demons, too, and it scares them. In Mark 5, the demons know instinctively who Jesus is. It's almost like a kind of professional privilege among supernatural beings that they know each other. The demons know who Jesus is without an introduction, and he scares them, and, he, and they plead with him. I think we understand I think we understand that evil has something to fear from God and therefore something to fear from Jesus. The demoniac is afraid of Jesus. and The demoniac is afraid because Jesus brings God much too close. Even the townspeople fear Jesus and they do so in an unexpected way. So here they have this guy who lives in their community, who lives in their cemetery. They have this horribly sick man who is crawling with demons. He's out in the cemetery howling amongst the tombs, and it's awful what he does out there. It's awful how he frightens people, but everything, everybody thinks that's normal. 
A man rattles around in a graveyard all night, shrieking and mutilating himself, and people shrug. What are you going to do? They say, hey, that's the way these demoniacs are. What frightens people is that Jesus cures him. What frightens people is that Jesus gets him all dressed up and calmed down. It's when the Lord of life raises up a man who lives with the dead. That's what scares people. To these people, resurrection is a terrifying event. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid. Sanity scares them. The power of God scares them. Resurrection scares the daylights out of them. So they tell Jesus to leave. They beg Jesus to get out of town. These people want nothing to do with God, and especially not when God is on the loose. And why is this? because they're used to their crazy demoniac just the way he was. A cleaned up demoniac does not look normal to them. But these people also get stuck almost for sure on the one question that sticks in all of us when we read the story. People always have one question here, it's been in your minds now for about nine minutes. The question is, what about those pigs? Why would Jesus have anything to do with stampeding pigs? Why does the Savior choose such a non-ecological method of demon disposal? You know, a lot of preachers avoid this story in Mark, and the reason is that they don't know what to do about the pigs. And I don't really know either. One thing to understand, though, is that in Mark's biblical world, pigs are unclean. In fact, everything in the story is unclean. The Gerizim's territory is unclean because it's full of Gentiles. The graveyard is unclean because it's full of corpses. The demoniac is unclean because he's full of demons. And Jesus is willing to become unclean in order to save this hopeless man who is thrashing around in a graveyard. Jesus is a wilderness savior who gets his hands dirty when he works. He's a carpenter. He's the son of a carpenter. He's in the building trades. He knows how to work. He's a Labor Day savior. And yes, 2,000 pigs become casualties of the process. I guess the point is that demons need to go somewhere. Demons are parasites. They can't just float free. They've got to attach someplace. So Jesus negotiates with the demons, and what follows is the death march of the swine. Maybe the idea is that the demons will drown right along with their unclean hosts. If so, then this march is like the march of Pharaoh and his hosts into the Red Sea. It's something to grieve, but also something to celebrate. But the Gerizines don't feel like celebrating. They want to know why 2,000 animals, their livelihood, have to die to save one crazy man. They want to know how they're going to make their living now. And it's a, a question the story never addresses.
But isn't it interesting that nobody in the story really gets very excited about the redemption of the demoniac? Even now, nobody gets excited about his redemption. People just get excited about the pigs. Jesus sets a man free from demons. Everybody says, but what about the pigs? Jesus blesses a suffering man with a wonderful healing and relief. You might say a wonderful house cleaning. And everybody says, but what about the pigs? The grace of God liberates a human spirit, and people want to talk about ecology and property loss. At minimum, this story tells, it, tells us that God's interests often lie elsewhere than our own, and that God has emergency means for redemption. And frankly, we're not always so comfortable about God's emergency means. We're not so comfortable with God on the loose. At the center of this story is a miraculous healing. And it tends to get people upset. We think exorcism belongs in the movies. And of course, dramatic signs of the power of God, faith healing, exorcism, can be open to abuse, can easily become the tools of spiritual imperialism when others want to mess with our lives and we get shy about these things. But for another thing, supernatural, clearly supernatural ministries have an eerie feel to them. And I don't like that very well. I like a good, solid Christian ministry that won't move around on me. I like the, the, the lines of reality to stay put where I can see them. We all like the, reality, the borders of reality to stay put so we know what's natural and what's supernatural. And then we'd like to stay more on the natural side of the border. I think a lot of us are like that. Christian Reformed people in this solid Christian Reformed church in Granville, Michigan. Think of this. If you ever laid hands on a really sick person and prayed for their healing and they suddenly got healed, you'd be scared to death. Grab the first physician you could find. Say, talk to me about germs and antibiotics and suggestions in healing. When we discover that a faith healer is a fake, are we disappointed? Not necessarily. We might be relieved. We like the lines of reality to stay put. We like God to stay in heaven where he belongs. We like our demoniacs to stay out in the graveyard where they belong. And we really don't want Jesus going around and stirring everything up. My point is that God on the loose can make us uncomfortable. A friend of mine, when he taught at Luther Seminary in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, had a student who went out for his first summer assignment. When you go out for your summer assignment as a student, seminary student, you learn, start to learn how to preach to a congregation, start to learn something about church administration, start to learn something about pastoral care, and so he made himself available for pastoral care. And one day he went to see Mrs. Tiffany, who is 92 years old. Mrs. Tiffany, had been sick for quite a while. Both of her own children had already died, and her husband. 
and she wanted to die. And the student talked to her about it and said, now, Mrs. Tiffany, you're very old and you're sick and your loved ones have all gone ahead of you. Would you like God to reach for you with a gentle hand and take you to himself? And she said, I would. Have you prayed that God would do this? I have. Would you like me to pray with you that God will do this? I would. So the student prayed something like, Dear Lord, Mrs. Tiffany is old and sick. She's faithful. She's a believer. She wants you to gather her to her himself. She wants you to gather her to yourself. Would you please do it? In Jesus' name, amen. Mrs. Tiffany died on the spot, and the student was so spooked that he never told anybody for six months what had actually happened. God was on the loose that day, and the student really didn't know how to handle it. When the Gerasenes came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid because if exorcisms can happen, miracles can happen. If miracles can happen, resurrection can happen. And if resurrection can happen, anything can happen. I want us to hear this morning that the Jesus of our baptism, the Jesus that we stand up to confess, the Jesus whose blood we drink and whose body we eat, this is God on the loose. He's a beautiful Savior, but he's also big trouble. He's the mediator of all creation, but he's also the Savior who brawls with demons in graveyards. He's God on the loose, and we are never safe from his approach the love of God is strong and true, but it's also out to kill our old self with all of its demons and raise up our new self. And this means pain. We can't rise until we die. Not even Jesus got a resurrection without a death. People sometimes speak as if meeting God would be like going out for coffee with a friend, walking in a garden with someone who looks pleasant and avuncular. People think that meeting God would be like meeting Winnie the Pooh. The truth is that meeting God would be much more like being electrocuted. God slays in order to save, and the desire to meet God is therefore a holy death wish. Our pride and envy have to die. Our terrible despair has to die. All that drags us down has to die. Only then can we arise, get dressed up in the virtues of Christ, and sit there in our right mind, ready for peace. Brothers and sisters, I've come to Ivanrest this morning really to say just one thing. Jesus Christ is God on the loose, and he will do anything to save us. Let us pray.
O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Dress us in your virtues and restore us to sanity. In your holy name, amen.